Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and this is episode number 118. It's part of a series called Questions from God, a series of sermons that I preached a few weeks ago when I was in Summersville, West Virginia at a camp meeting there. I had a great time with the great people there, and the the people you hear at the beginning that are shouting out Voices in My Head, that's a group of teens that I had the chance to work with, and gosh, I was just so blessed. That whole experience was wonderful. I hope I get a chance to go back and speak and play music in West Virginia again one of these days. Well, before I move on into today's episode, I would just want to remind you that we are in the middle of a crowdfunding campaign over on GoFundMe.com to raise money for um, the hymns record that I want to do. And we've been running this crowdfunding project for what maybe uh nine days now something like that and i've been so blessed uh i mean literally just before recording this we had 150 more dollars come in from two sources uh so we're almost to the thousand dollar mark and that's a that's a big point our first thousand dollars is amazing uh so i just want to encourage you if you have a chance go to gofundme.com slash hymns that's h-y-m-n-s and just see about um what we're doing we are trying to record a real live big professional hymns project complete with songbooks we're going to make a documentary along with it if all the funding comes in and uh, it's going to be an expensive endeavor we have a five-time dove award winning producer he's actually been a guest on the show here before Uh, his name is craig adams really incredible guy genius musician genius producer and um just let me tell you real quick why it's so expensive a lot of people have been wondering about that And make no mistake about it, even if we don't reach our goal, we're still going to make this album. We may not be able to do it in the nice studios that we want to do it in. We may not be able to do it quite as fast. We may not be able to do the documentary or um, any of the songbooks or things like that. But my hope and my goal is to have these songbooks made and this documentary, stuff that we can share once it's all finished. And I want to share it uh, free of charge to churches once we finally reach that point. But I want it to be something uh, that is quality, something is good. Uh, This is a quick rundown of our expenses. And some of you may be thinking, hey, uh, maybe there's just one thing I can pay for. Maybe our church could come together and help pay for this one aspect of the project. And if you wanted to do that, that would be incredible. Uh, I'd love to have your help in that way. Um, The first $500 goes towards like hard drives, CDs, DVDs, things like that, because uh, we actually have to, um, you know, physically print these up at one point Uh, plus because everything's digital today that's what you use hard drives for and you know printing the dvds from the project all kinds of things like that so the first five hundred dollars goes towards supply twenty five hundred dollars goes to pre-production which is like arranging chart preparation contracting musicians and engineers and people like that to come in studios five thousand dollars will go for musicians which are a-list musicians in nashville some of the best in the world 
world we're going to be using on this recording. Uh, $5,000 for studio rental time, uh, $7,000 for an engineer uh, with recording and mixing. We have to have different engineers for both those things that are specialties. Uh, $5,000 for the studio producer and $5,000 uh, for making the video, for filming, and for fees at GoFundMe.com. We really need around $25,000, but it takes around thirty because of all the fees that you have going into a project like this. So be praying about what you can give and if you can give. I'm going to end the commercial right there by saying just please go uh, to one of two sites to read more about this project. Uh, you can go to GoFundMe.com slash hymns or you can go to RickLeeJames.com slash hymns. All very good information there for you to see. And please go to my YouTube page as well because I'm trying to uh, every day, I know it's not going to happen every single day, but I'm trying to as much as I can daily record a new hymn on video and make kind of a nice little video presentation. Uh, these are songs that may or may not end up on the album, but they're songs that are close to my heart and hymns that I think we need to hang on to and, and recapture. Uh, some of them I've written myself and I've really been challenging myself to to write in hymn-type hymn meters and things like that, things for congregational use. So uh, feel free to go there also. That's youtube.com slash James. All right, well, commercial's over, and I want to get into questions from God today. Not too bad. Five minutes in, and we're ready for our actual podcast. So uh, all that is to say, thank you again, listeners, for being so faithful to listen. Thank you so much for being so faithful to fund projects like this one. I know there's a lot of stuff you can give your money and your time to and I just appreciate you investing in this ministry so without any further hesitation here's part three of ten questions from God God bless you and thank you for listening to voices in my head last night we talked about Adam and Eve the recorder started now and uh, I, I hope that you were able to, to glean some new insights from that and then when we received at the Lord's table together. I, I just felt like it was a beautiful time in the presence of the Lord last night. We had a wonderful time with the music, and we're just going to continue that. Thank you again, Carlos. Uh, there's a, there's a, all of, all of the praise came, everybody. There's a beautiful Hebrew word, and it sounds a lot like our president's name, but it's not. It's Barak. It means to bless, and uh, it also means to kneel. And so uh, you have you have blessed us, and uh, at the same way we sort of bless each other. We sort of kneel to each other, not because we're worshiping, but sort of in honor. And so I honor you. I barack you this morning. Thank you for leading us. And so, so yeah, I Obama you. It's not that. It's just barack. It's not Obama you. I promise, but it's just barack. But uh, but we we bless you. We thank you for doing that. And uh, and I bring blessings to you this morning. One of my, my great uh, privileges that I get to do as a minister of the gospel is to uh, give you the words of God. And God wants to bless us, I believe, this morning with his word. Did you ever wonder where the Garden of Eden was? I know people like Ken Ham really like to, like to investigate and see all that kind of stuff. And they miss the point a lot of times, I feel like. But um, I think I know where the Garden of Eden was. And I'm going to tell you this morning, uh, the late Southern Baptist minister, Carlisle Marnie, I think was on to something when he located the Garden of Eden, okay? You ready to hear where the Garden of Eden is? This is where he says it was. Um, he was once spending a couple days at a seminary in the South, and he wandered into a room where some of the seminary students were having a discussion, and they were arguing about where the Garden of Eden had been located. Some thought it had been in what is today Israel. 
And others thought it had been in what is today called Egypt. And it was called Egypt then too. But one of the students asked Carlisle Marnie where he thought the Garden of Eden had been located. And he said, I know exactly where it was. It was at 1611 Locust Street, Memphis, Tennessee. The students looked at him like he was crazy, so he continued. He says, it was at 1611 Locust Street in Memphis. Dan knows Memphis. Right? He knows that. Do you know that 1611 Locust Street? Go Tigers. All right. So he says, it was at 1611 Locust Street in Memphis that my mother gave me some money when I was a small boy to go to the corner store to get milk. When I got there, instead of buying milk, I bought candy. I had eaten the candy by the time I got home. When I got there, I hid in the hallway closet behind the coats. After a while, my mother came and opened the closet and pushed aside the coats, looked at me and said, Carl, what have you done? So you see, he told the students the Garden of Eden was located at 1611 Locust Street, Memphis, Tennessee. Well, the fact is that Eden is not that far from any of us. If you can remember where you, your last sin took place, then you can remember where Eden was. Because it's after your sin that you long to have Eden back. You long to have that place again where you had fellowship with God and it was untainted and pure and good. Because we are listening for questions that God is asking us this week. Last night we asked and yesterday morning, where are you? And I hope you're still thinking about that today. Uh, but God is continuing to ask questions in the scriptures we're going to be looking at today. So we want to turn our attention just to another chapter later from where we were yesterday. Genesis chapter 4. It takes place east of Eden. And it involves two brothers, Cain and Abel. You guys heard of these guys before? Yeah. Okay. I would have figured everybody had. Do you remember last night what Adam's responsibilities were? It was to till and to keep. It was to abad and to shamar. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But keep that in mind. I think we actually have some highlighted parts. But let's go ahead and... Uh, and uh, wow, my name's up there. Wow. How about that? Let's go to Scripture. That's even better. So. All right. Now, Abel... Or, uh, maybe we didn't go uh, back far enough. Do we have verse 4 in there? Okay, well, I'm going to start with verse 4, and then we'll get to that. I don't know what verse that is, but we'll get to it. Uh, if you're, <laughs> you know, actually, uh, we used to say turn in your Bibles, so now you, now we say turn on your Bibles. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn on to page Genesis 4. Um, now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper Remember that word? A keeper, a shamar, a guard? Was a keeper of the sheep. And Cain, a tiller, a, a servant of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do, well, if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. All right, I want you to hear that again. If you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. 
Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Question from God today, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, another question, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth, and everyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So the murder in this story it happens fairly quickly. We don't know why, but God, for some reason, prefers meat to vegetables, and this makes Cain so mad that he kills his brother. Now, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty much a simplified story. We don't know exactly why, but what should interest, interest us in this story today, this should be of interest to all of us as we look at this story, is the destiny of Cain, the destiny of the murderer, the one who is set out to wander. Let, let me just walk you quickly through this story. There may be some things that, that we don't pay attention to um, in English, and sometimes we just read past things and don't see it. But it's worth noting in this story that Cain is the firstborn. Firstborns have a significant place in the Bible. Um, in the book of, of Genesis, though, however, firstborn people don't seem to fare too well, um, especially, especially the firstborn males. Isaac, Ishmael, Jacob, Esau are all yet to come, and they all have these tragic things that happen to them. Now, we would expect the older brother able to, to dominate because he's the older brother. He has the birthright. He's the firstborn. He should be the, the hero of the story. That's what the readers would have been expecting out of this. They would have expected Abel to dominate, but then a surprise comes. Abel gets killed. Now, do you remember I just said a minute ago, you remember what Adam was called to be? A tiller and a keeper of the garden? Well, in this story, Cain is a tiller it's the word abad, it means servant. And Abel is a keeper, a shamar, a guard keeper. Okay? So they kind of like split the duties of Adam at that point. Where Adam was a tiller and a keeper, Cain is a tiller, and Abel is a keeper. Okay? He's a keeper, I guess, I guess they would say if he got married. That boy's a keeper. Look at that. So anyway, both are again meant to make us think of the duties of Adam, this high priest that we talked about last night. Now, think of Cain's name for a second. It comes from the word quana. It means to get or to create. Um, it was actually a name given as praise to God, the creator. Elohim is a name for God that means creator. And as the firstborn, he embodies this future possibility. But sometimes creative people, and, and you'll know this, creative people can be a little temperamental, can't they? Creative people get their, their feelings hurt really easy. I know I'm a creative person, and like I play guitar and I play piano and a few other instruments and things, 
And if somebody says something about my playing, I take that not as an attack on my playing, I take it as an attack on me. You know, you understand that, don't you? Somebody says something bad about the music you're leading, Carlos, you take it to heart, don't you? I have, oh. I have a guitar. Huh? I don't know. No. <laughs> uh, Carlos doesn't feel this way, he just ruined my whole point. But anyway, no, I'm kidding. Uh, creative people, I think about, think about Cain. Um, his mean, name means to get or to create. I just think it's interesting that he's kind of the temperamental one in this story. And Abel, his name is derived from a word, Wehabel, or Vehabel. It means vapor or nothingness, without the possibility of life. We should know by his name something bad's going to happen to him from the beginning. It means nothingness. How would you like it if, if your parents named you nothing? All right, we got the creator and nothing. So, good stuff. Way to go, Adam and Eve. Good, good naming there. His destiny was already laid out for him. So, Abel is the one in the story that is dismissed as lesser, even though he's the older brother. Now, in this story, it's, it's a lot about worship. Worship is presumed in this story. It's presumed that worship is going to take place. Both brothers do what is appropriate. They both bring their best to God. Both had reason to believe that their offering was going to be accepted. One brought meat, one brought vegetables, but they both brought the best that they had. One tilled, one kept. Both had reason to believe it would be accepted. There's not a hint of rivalry yet in this story. It's just a family at worship offering sacrifices to God. However, with no explanation, and I really wish the Bible would give us explanation, commentators talk about this all the time. I've heard preachers try to make explanations for it. For some reason that we are not given, God accepts Abel's offering, or it says he regarded the offering, he had regard for it, and he had no regard for Cain's offering. I don't know why. There's nothing here to disqualify Cain. It doesn't say he brought rotten vegetables. It says he brought the best he had. There's no reason in the text why God didn't accept it. He just, he just didn't regard it. I mean, God's free to do what he wishes. There's no reason that we're given for why God acts this way. And at first glance, I have to tell you, it seems like God's a troublemaker here. In this part of the story, I mean, there's times that I feel like this deal. If God just would stop meddling in families' lives, they'd be so much better off. <laughs> you know, it doesn't get really hard in this life until you start following Jesus. When you start following Jesus, things get really hard. Don't ever believe when people tell you it makes all your troubles go away when you follow Jesus. That's when the real trouble begins. But it seems like the family in this story would have gotten a lot, along a lot better if God just would have regarded both of them. But he doesn't for some reason. We aren't sure why. We're given hints, but we aren't sure why. So at this point, maybe I should point out that the writer of Genesis, um, and for anybody in that time, they just believed everything came from God. Just everything. It's not the way we believe about it today, and it's not the way that Jesus clears up for us some things about who God is. They just believe everything came from God. Good, bad, indifferent, it was all God, one way or the other. So they were trying to show the shadowy side of reality, that things don't always go our way, that things don't always happen the way we want, that life actually disrupts sometimes. And sometimes God disrupts our life. Jesus certainly disrupts our life. So for the ancient Hebrews, everything came from God. But the question is, how will we respond to what God gives us? How will we respond to what life will give us? So God asked his first question to Cain. 
Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Anybody ever have your countenance fallen before? It means being disappointed. Anybody been disappointed about something? I, I'm a songwriter, so I pitch songs to places. You know, I, I pitch them to like people in Nashville. Sometimes they accept them, and they're like, "Yeah, I wrote a song like two weeks ago." And in the same day, I sent it to a guy at Lifeway Worship, and he was like, "Yeah, we want to publish it. Let's take it." Other times, I send them, and I get back. You know, it'll be months later, and they're like, "Yeah, we kind of like it," or then they'll they won't say anything or whatever. So it's this constant disappointment. And I do my best to try to write these like deep hymn-like songs at times, and then I have it gets passed over because they picked this one-word song. You know, I, I literally one time I got passed over because a guy wrote a song that goes, "Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, Jesus." And I was like, it all except was Jesus, you know? It's like, that's not the best, but it got looked over. For some reason, that was regarded. Mine wasn't. Not saying mine was any better. But in my heart, I'm a creative person. A little bit of that cane crept up, and I went, oh, why did he get it? Why did he get regarded and not me for my song? I think that's what we're dealing with here. And God comes to him and says, why are you upset? Why has your countenance fallen? I just was in the mood for a hamburger today. Don't take it to heart, you know. I, I wanted beef, not vegetables. We don't know why God didn't regard the offering. He just didn't. He's God. He gets to choose those things. But it seems to me that God may have actually had a reason for rejecting Cain's offering after all. God creates this crisis moment in Cain's life. And it actually becomes a grand invitation from God for Cain to overcome. It suggests that after the fall, man did have the capacity still to overcome sin and make the right choice. Because he says to him, he says, why are you angry? If you do well, you'll be accepted. If not, sin is lurking at the door. Sin is waiting at the door like a hungry lion ready to ambush Cain. That literally is the language that's used. It's like ready to pounce, saying it's waiting for you. Be careful, Cain. I'm telling you this. I, I want you to know this. You're getting ready to be attacked. If it goes well for you, don't let your countenance fall. You're still loved. Well, the sin in the story, it just seemed to take on a life of its own. It's standing by the door. It's lethal, and God's creations must be on guard against it. And sin has a desire for Cain, apparently, in this story. It's, it's this, this evil desire. It's almost this perverted, lustful desire, if you read the language in the Hebrew, and it's, it's just this very, uh, it, it's, it's just bad. There's a danger in the life of Cain for how he handles his rage and how he's going to handle his depression. And God assures Cain, you can overcome this, Cain. You can. He tells him to master it. It's waiting for you, but you can avoid everything that's about to happen. He tries to show Cain there's danger there. You know, how many times have I told my son not to do something because I know it's going to hurt him, and then he gets hurt? And then I go, I tried to tell you, but you just had to try it. It's kind of what God's doing here. God has given the capacity not only to rule over plants and animals, as he did with Adam, but he's also given us the capacity to rule over sin. And he's telling Cain, 
You can do this. It's a commandment to Cain. You must rule your sin. It's an invitation. It's a challenge and it's a promise to rule over sin. But then God leaves the choice up to Cain in that moment. But Cain does not master his sin. Cain lets it pounce all over him as he pounces all over his brother. And he kills his brother in the field. Cain said to his brother Abel in verse 8, he said, let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. In Cain's victory over Abel, he suffers his greatest defeat. And then we have more questions from God. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? And the remainder of the story is sort of like this courtroom trauma that plays out. There's this investigation when, when God asks Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain gets hostile. He gets sarcastic. I don't know. Am I the keeper of him? Am I the shepherd of the shepherd? I don't know where he's at. And again, it's like God's asking, who took the cookie? He knew but he needed to ask. And God knows the truth. And then comes the sentence in this sort of courtroom drama. Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its, opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Again, God is disciplining his children just like he did with Adam and Eve. Cain knows he is caught. And an interesting thing happens in this passage. Is there a way to bring, you don't have the verse numbers up there, but verse 13, if you have the verse numbers. Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. That word in the Hebrew is the word avon. It means punishment, but it also means guilt. And it also means sin. You can look at it this way. He's not just saying my punishment is too much to bear. Cain starts repenting. He's saying my guilt is too much for me to bear. My guilt, my sin is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and anyone who meets me will kill me. And this is, this is an interesting thing because he is grief stricken. It's not just that he's upset because of his punishment. That word literally means his guilt is overcoming him. Can you relate? Have you ever been so guilty of something you just wish you could do anything to wash yourself clean? That's kind of where Cain is in this passage. Now we have God's response to Cain when this happens. The Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one came, who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So the killer, Cain, he now fears being killed, and he casts himself upon the mercy of God. And mercy is given in the form of a tattoo, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. God gives him a mark. I mean, I guess it's a tattoo. I don't know what else we would call it, something like that. And it symbolizes both guilt and grace. All at the same time. It symbolizes both guilt 
and grace. It's sort of like the scarlet letter. If you've ever had to read the scarlet letter in school, the letter became, came to mean two different things. It's sort of like the cross. It came to represent guilt and grace all at the same time, where grace was killed, where, where grace was killed for us on the cross, and it came back to life in the form of Jesus giving us mercy. And even though Cain is again cast out to wander the earth, and he's wearing God's mark upon him, God goes with Cain, just like he goes with Adam and Eve. It's not that he just casts us out, he goes with us. So how do we apply this to us today? To mercy that's given to us? How do we respond to this question from God when God's asking us, maybe you don't have a brother. But we're going to find out tonight that brother doesn't just have to be a blood relative. Brother can also be a sister. And we find out that hate is the same thing as murder. We're going to look at some different things this evening. But let me ask you this question. Maybe we could say it this way instead of just when God asks, why are you upset? Why are you counting this? He's asking this question, why are you angry? Some of us bear this anger towards others that's unhealthy. They've done us wrong. Maybe we've done them wrong for some reason. I don't know. But for some reason we have this anger. And God's asking us this week, why are you angry? Where's all this anger coming from? What's the source of it? Is what you're mad about really what you're mad about? Is there something deeper? Because our anger will lead us down destructive paths. We either need to master it or it's going to master us. He asked the question, why is your countenance fallen? Why are you disappointed? Anybody disappointed here? Some people get a lot of disappointing news in their life. Some people have a lot of grief. Some people hear words from their parents like we're getting a divorce. And they're just filled with grief and disappointment. And it becomes bitterness in their life. We have other disappointments in life, but maybe could it just be that through some of our disappointments, God might be preparing us for something more. And God doesn't want us to lose heart. He's maybe preparing us for something further down the road in those times. Will you serve God anyway? God's asking us these questions and he's telling us, hey, sin's waiting at the door, waiting to pounce on you. Don't let it master you. Don't let it control you. Don't let your anger overtake you. Don't let your jealousy master you. Don't let your disappointment rule your life. God has something down the road that he is preparing you for. So where is your brother? Where are you with your relationships? Yesterday I asked... Where are you? Because that was the question God was asking. Well, let me ask today, where are you in your relationships with others? Do you have healthy relationships with others? Are there people in your life that you have unhealthy relationships with? Where is your brother? Where is your sister? Where are your relationships? Have you already passed the point of no return like Cain? Do you feel like you're at a place where you've gone too far? The story of Cain and Abel tells us that there's no place that's too far where God's grace cannot still meet you, even in murder. And I doubt anyone here has murdered anybody, but guess what? Jesus tells us, just like I said before, to hate someone is the same as murder in the eyes of God. And if we've gone too far, God has grace for us where he can help us to be healed from that help us to be an agent of healing for others. Cain went on to have a family. He founded a civilization and he had a future. I mean, talk about grace. 
God said, if anybody tries to murder you, a curse will be upon them. It's going to be hard for you. There's going to be punishment, but I'm going to go with you. There's a, a quote I want to put on the screen by William Willimon, one of my favorite uh, preachers. He says, murderer that he is, Cain is marked, set apart, sealed by God. Cain, who deserves to get clobbered for his sins, gets clobbered with grace. God gets the last word in a word of grace. Vengeance belongs to God, so does mercy. For some inscrutable divine reason, this murderer is still precious to God. I love that last line. For some inscrutable divine reason, this murderer is still precious to God. Any murderers here? Hey, just raise your hands. I actually saw a couple hands start going up. I'm a little worried. But uh, like I said, any haters here? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But we're told by Jesus they're very similar. But guess what? This is the good news we're going to close with today. God has grace for haters and murderers and people who are disappointed and people who have allowed life to get the best of them and people who are downtrodden, and people who have sinned beyond what they think they can be forgiven for, guess what? It's my privilege as a minister of the gospel to say God has grace for you. And that's good news. Well, let's rehearse what we believe today. We're going to close again with the Maasai Creed. Hope you like the Maasai Creed. I think it's awesome. This is what we believe. Let's stand up together, and we're going to close out our time with the Creed today. We believe in the one high God who out of love created the beautiful world and everything good in it. He created man and wanted man to be happy in the world. God loves the world and every nation and tribe on the earth. We have known this high God in darkness and now we know him in the light. God promised in the book of his word, the Bible, that he would save the world all the nations and tribes. We believe that God made good his promise by sending his son, Jesus Christ, a man in the flesh, a Jew by tribe, born poor in a little village who left his home and was always on safari doing good, curing people by the power of God, teaching about God and man, showing the meaning of religion is love. He was rejected by his people, tortured and nailed hands and feet to a cross and died. He lay buried in the grave, but the hyenas did not touch him, and on the third day he rose from the grave. He ascended to the skies. He is the Lord. We believe that all our sins are forgiven through him. All who have faith in him must be sorry for their sins be baptized in the Holy Spirit of God, live the rules of love, and share the bread together in love to announce the good news to others until Jesus comes again. We are waiting for him. He is alive. He lives. This we believe. Amen. Amen. And we do believe that today. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord Jesus. We are grateful to be in the house of God today. We are grateful to be in the outdoors in your nature. 
We're grateful to be in the presence of grace this morning that is greater than all of our sins. Our Lord, as you bring sins to mind in our life, things that we have allowed to overcome us, it doesn't matter what it is. As we come to you in repentance and as we come to you, Lord, sorrowful for our sins, you are able to take those and bring grace to us and transform us into new creations. Lord, do that in our lives, we pray. As we come back together this evening, Lord, open our minds to you as we receive once again the bread and the wine of life together, Lord. We give you glory, we give you praise and honor for this day. And I pray that as we wander through this campsite today and go about the activities, that you will wander with us, Lord, and journey with us, that you will be on safari with us, as it says in that creed from uh, the beautiful Maasai tribe. We pray that you will journey with us. Speak to our hearts. Continue to ask us the question. Ask us today, where are you? Ask us, where is your brother? Why are you downhearted? Lord, walk with us, we pray. Bring us newness of life. We wait upon your return, even while we exist in your presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we pray. Amen. God go with you throughout this day. We'll see you back tonight at 5.30. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.